You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Welcome to the show. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. My name is Jesse Mogul, and I am in addiction recovery. It is a pleasure to have you back. I'm always honored to have your ears for this time each week. This week, we are going to dive into a really cool subject, something that I, I'm i always interested in, human needs, um, because I'm a master practitioner in neurolinguistic programming, and I've been trained in something called spiral dynamics, and I do a lot of NLP trainings and such. I'm always looking for for ways that the human mind is conditioned to act when it gets down to its core functionality. Um, that sounded really, that sounded too scientific. Basically, I believe that we're all, we all have a baseline. We all, it's, it's like we're, we're, if we're computers, right? We all have like a basic programming that we have, that's been instilled in us. And whether we, well, regardless of whatever religion you have and what doctrine you follow as far as where humans were created from, you know, going with what I believe, which is that we were once Neanderthals and that we've evolved into who we are now, we have these basic programming, these functions that have come from tens of thousands of years that still operate in our heads, right? Like, no matter matter how hard you try to break away from, you know, hundreds of thousands of years of evolution, and then you try to go off and read all these self-help improvement books and, and become this higher evolved sense of self, you still have this core programming that was put in long time ago. And to overwrite that takes a lot of effort. And I think we all can agree that as we've begun to rewrite the programming that led us to addiction to begin with, that, you know, you're just trying to, you're just trying to reprogram stuff that was brought to you as a child. Perhaps you come from a family of addicts so that there was that tendency in your DNA already by the time you got to be born. You're trying to rewrite you know, your legacy of your family, and then also everything that's happened since you came out of the womb. And that's extremely difficult. I think we can all agree on that, to rewrite that. And so imagine now trying to rewrite human evolution on top of that to get yourself to act as a core human differently than you would normally um, lean towards, right? You think about you know, the fight or flight mechanism. Anytime we get, we get afraid, anytime there, there's fear, we either want to fight, flight. And they've added another one recently I've heard in my readings and in some of the YouTube TED Talk stuff I read. It's called freeze. You fight, flight, or freeze. And so, you know, back in the day when we were Neanderthals, you know, if we heard a tiger growl, right, fight, flight, or freeze. Right. Well, nowadays we don't necessarily have tigers lurking in the tall grass, but maybe there's a stranger around the corner we're not so sure about. Or maybe it's going to work and not feeling accepted by people or having a boss who doesn't treat us as kindly as we'd like. Perhaps there's a family member that's constantly putting us down in order to make themselves feel better. Right. There, there's still these these little instances in life where this fight, flight or freeze can get brought out. And. All of this we're going to discuss today under Maslow's higher, Maslow Maslow's um, I think it's Maslow's even though it, it's a W I believe that he's got a uh, Eastern European Russian lineage or something so I think it's pronounced Maslow but it's Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs and this is abso- abs- absolutely fascinating the whole 
reason that I even want to discuss this today is that there, I get in my car and I have long distances to drive in Los Angeles. And so I, I love podcasts. And I came across a TED Talk that lasts about an hour. And I had an hour drive the other day. And so I, I uh, chose a TED Talk called a Hierarchy of Needs specifically because it was an hour and I had an hour to drive. And it was just, it, it reinvigorated my fascination with this core programming that we deal with. And there's also something called spiral dynamics, and you can Google that. Um, I've read extensively about it. it. It can start sounding a little bit more complicated because uh, they, they gave it a color coding system, and, and it's all this other stuff, but it's basically Maslow's hierarchy of needs, but on steroids. It's, it's, it's fascinating, but it, it can be complicated to try to explain, and it can be extremely complicated if you come across the really complicated books about it. But for today, we're just going to discuss Maslow's hierarchy of needs because the way I see all of us going through this addiction recovery process, just like with his hierarchy of needs, we are going to come across different needs at different times in our recovery. And it's important to know which one of these needs we're looking to fulfill when it comes around so we can understand where we are at within this hierarchy. So we understand why is it that we're feeling this need at this particular moment. That's something I think is extremely helpful whenever you find yourself in need of a meeting or craving a drink or, or some drugs or you're, you're all of a sudden you find yourself really wanting to be around friends or you're wanting to have intimacy. Um, you're starting to feel like your job isn't as great as you would like it to be. And so that's got you stressed out. Why are these things happening? Why do you feel these emotional triggers? Why are you having the thoughts that you're, you're having that create these emotional feelings, which drive your actions, which create an outcome? You've heard me talk a lot about the life coaching model, which I learned from um, Brooke Castillo's life coaching scholars. You know, you've got these beliefs that, that, that trigger thoughts that cause feelings, that drive actions, that create results, which circle back up and anchor into that original um, circumstance or event that will just become this built-in habit in your head. Um, I love talking about that. I still am trying to master my full sense of it. So when I describe it, it's not always the best. I believe there's an episode about it. Um, it's coming up if it, because um, I'm going to reintroduce that because Something else I've noticed with the show is that as I, you know, getting closer and closer to my three years, I'm having a lot of people reach out because of the show and because my friends know that I've been in sobriety so long, asking me for, you know, help with, uh, to find a place to get sober, to find ways that, to make sobriety easier. And it's really amazing and beautiful that everyone reaches out to me. And if you're one of those people, thank you so much. I, I really am honored to be a part of your journey um, though I know that all the hard work's being done by you, I do feel very grateful that you believe I'm, I'm someone that you can call upon to give you um, very helpful you know, tips and knowledge and, and just advice because um, it's something that um, I get a great sense of. of it's, it's, it's one of these. It's, when we get into this, it's a, there's an esteem act, uh, uh, there is an, an esteem aspect to it that gives me good self-esteem to realize that I'm being recognized for um, my work in sobriety and recovery, and therefore I'm somebody you can call upon because you believe that I'm at my basic core function, I want to help you. And again, that's level four. It's the esteem. Um, it plays into it. These are things that a lot of us don't even realize that we want 
Uh, we don't even know why that drive, that craving is there. It just is. And then when we learn about this hierarchy of needs, all of a sudden it's like, oh, I see. And there's been a lot of research done since Maslow came out with this, and some people have tried to disprove it. Uh, whether you want to try to disprove it and find material that would go otherwise and say, well, there's these other needs, or, well, that's the, it could also be this way. Yes, we are humans. They're in a universe of infinite possibilities, everything can be one. I've recently come across mediums who think that, you know, that they can feel and sense past lives, and then they've discussed them with me. And I had, and I won't get into this very deep, but whether you believe in mediums and people who can, you know, look into your past lives or not, I'll say this is uh, recently I've come across two separate people who obviously don't know each other at all, never heard of each other, wouldn't know how to find each other. And they both did a past life regression on me. And both of them came up with uh, a doctor um, history and a monk history that were eerily similar. Obviously, there was, there was a few things they saw differently, but the, the, at the base, the story was I was once a monk in the Himalayan mountains, and I, it was a very desolate area, and uh, I was a bit of a loner, and I wasn't really liked by the rest of the monks, and I, and I took care of people who were also not necessarily liked or favored by their community. And then there was another one where I was a doctor, and, and I had a very sick wife. And, and again, whether you believe all this stuff or not, it was just very interesting to me that two different mediums had same stories. And so you, again, universe of infinite possibilities, why can't that be one? And I, and I, I really that use that as one of my core, one of my absolute core philosophies is in a universe of infinite possibilities, why can't this be one? Right? In a universe of infinite possibilities, why can't this be the one universe where I am an addict who had to struggle with that for 22 years to finally find my meant to be in life? I, there was a infinite other ways my life could have gone, yet this is the way that it went, right? And so, again, just a little sidebar. Let's get back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs is that when you start to ask yourself, well, why am I behaving? Why am I acting in a certain way? Um, this hierarchy will help you understand that. And, um, again, there's other hierarchies. There's Whether they call them that or not, there's other belief systems that people have about why humans act the way they do, the needs that they have. Um, I really love this one. I think it explains it very easily. And if you go in and you you Google Maslow, it's it's spelled M-A-S-L-O-W, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. You're going to, I mean, the internet's awash with it. So let's jump in. So uh, there are five levels, the psych, the physiological needs, the safety needs, love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. Now, what I love about this hierarchy is that if you see it on your computer screen, you see it on your phone, physiological, safety, love, esteem, self-actualization, and it works all the way up to the point of the pyramid. When I take this this idea, this philosophy, and I put and I and I mix it in over here with spiral dynamics. I realize that in spiral dynamics, again, I won't get into it too deep, but it's it's another way of breaking us all down as as what our needs are, certain aspects of our lives, and you start to see how with each one of those um, sectors of the spiral dynamics, you can you will have all five of these that you'll need to fulfill in order to feel comfortable moving forward into the next one, or just as a basic need in life you'll find that when you look at Maslow, that the physiological needs, which are air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, um, he puts reproduction in here, the ability to find a mate, right? These are basic core needs. 
if, and let's tie this back into sobriety because that's what I love doing. That's why this show exists is that when you first started to think back in the day that you needed to sober up, that you needed to step into addiction recovery because that being addicted to substances was no longer serving you, more than likely it's because these physiological and safety needs began to crumble all around you. And when that happens, then that's where your core Neanderthal, if you will, let's just call it that. That's where your core Neanderthal takes over and is like, okay, I have to lock these things down in order to be able to move forward with my life. When you see someone who's homeless, um, and this is why I have a lot of empathy for homeless people, as I don't necessarily think that they're all mental, which I know in LA that we do have a very, we have a lot of mental health issues. Um, a lot of them just they had the safety and physiological needs break down, and when they first stepped out onto the street, they thought it'd be temporary, and then you know days became weeks, which became months, which became years, and then after a while, they just be, it became a habit. Um, it became their new norm, and to break away from that is extremely difficult, um, especially with the psychological things that go on in, the, in, in one's head that allows you know, that kind of behavior to begin to grow, to exacerbate. So all of a sudden, you went from living on the street for a few days, now you're living on the street for weeks and months. And, and I have a feeling that if you hit a pretty good rock bottom, your physiological and safety needs were, were all tested all of them. And you may not ended up on the street, you know, um, but you definitely ended up in a place where you were not happy. I remember in one of the videos about uh, addiction uh, recovery, when I first got into Kaiser, it talked about how a lot of us don't believe that we're addicts because we have this image in our head of what an addict would be, what, what rock bottom is. Um, and in the video, the woman goes on to explain about like a homeless lady who, you know, is yelling and screaming into the air and she looks, you know, emaciated, very skinny, no muscles, um, just, you know, sun torn and worn. And, you know, whatever you have as your vision of like what a real addict is, right, depending on some of, for some of you, it could just be in watching your, one of your parents come home drunk from the bar and yelling and screaming. For others, it could be that crazy homeless person on the street, Whatever that is, when you have that image in your head, until you start to see yourself that way, you may not even confront your addiction. And for me, I definitely had that I'm not a crazy person on the street, so clearly my life is fine, uh, until it wasn't, right? Like I wasn't ever to the point where I was going to live on the street. I wasn't to the point where I was going to be sleeping in my car. Um, I definitely you know, held my job, made sure I didn't you know, test that, because it was a safety need. And my physiological and safety needs were of my utmost importance in my addiction, specifically just so I could continue with my addiction. So your physiological needs, air, water, food, shelter, sleep, clothing, right? Just think of when you see somebody homeless, what do you assume that they don't have that you wish that you could just magically give them? You know, we all have air around us, but imagine being on the street and not having, not knowing where your next bottle of water is going to come from, not knowing where you're going to sleep that night. Will it be safe or will you be attacked? Your clothing hasn't been washed in weeks, and you're definitely not getting a good night's sleep because you're sleeping on the sidewalk. Um, when you move up to the next level, safety needs, personal security, employment, resources, health, property. Think about the things that you want for safety, right? You want personal security. You know, that shelter that you get for physiological needs, you know, for some of you, when you come home, if you, especially as a child, think back to if you had an addict in the house, if you had somebody who tested your sense of safety, 
all of a sudden you're sleeping in the middle of the night and you don't know if, if drunk dad, drunk mom is going to come in and want to cause violence towards you, just yell and scream, emotionally, mentally, physically, or spiritually, just abuse you in a way that you can't control. Um, then you have the safety need of employment so that you have money so that you can afford the physiological needs of water, food, shelter, clothing. Um, the resources, which are just the, just the things around you that allow you to be able to get those physiological needs met. Obviously, your health is extremely important. Um, it's one of the reasons why it really disappoints me that our politicians use our health care as a dividing point between us. Because as, at a basic function of a ruling power is that they provide you with your physiological and your safety needs. If you go back to when we were all Neanderthals, you know, everyone could have lived on their own, but it's really hard to meet your physiological and your safety needs when you're trying to do it on your own. So you tribe up because then somebody can go get berries, somebody else can get water, someone else can start the fire, someone else can hunt the food, someone else can make some clothing, right? There's somebody there to reproduce with, right? All of a sudden, you're able to meet your physiological needs much better whenever you have the safety of a tribe, which allows you to have, the basically, you can be in multiple places at once because the resources that you need to gather to live every day, other people can bring in, and then you bring in what your responsibility is. So when our politicians fight over our health care and people say, well, it's not the government's responsibility to provide health care, when you decide to be ruled, and I'm using air quotes here, when you decide to be ruled by a, a, a power um, it is their responsibility to provide opportunities for basic needs. Right now, my brain's thinking about the Game of Thrones, you know, and you, you look at uh, Cersei, you know, was she providing the best, you know, health care for her people, right? She didn't really care too much about everybody in King's Landing, you know, but was there the opportunity for them to farm and have food and have resources? Was there a way for them to make some money so that everybody wasn't poor and constantly hungry? Did, was there the personal security? Yes, they all lived behind a wall. If they were attacked, they knew that their king would, or queen would come out and slay, slay some beasts to make sure that they felt safe. When our government starts trying to divide us with things like health care, and you probably have people in your family who have different opinions about this, it's a basic safety need. And when we decide, yes, we will allow ourselves to be ruled by you, we will follow your rules, in turn, it is expected that you will uh, at least provide a reasonable opportunity for us to have these basic needs met. It's like when you're a kid living at home and you're sick and you really, or, you, or, you need your, or your teeth hurt. It, it is the responsibility of the parent to get that child to a health care provider so that they can have good teeth and have good health. If you can't even have that met by your parents, you're not going to feel safe, right? And if, and if they're not meeting that safety need, I, have a, I, I would be willing to wager that there's a physiological needs that are also not being met. Then another one of the safety needs is property. Again, this is this goes down with shelter. Do you feel safe that where you live will always be there for you? Um, the other three tiers are love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. And we're going to get into those at a later date because I don't want to make this podcast go too long. But one of the reasons that I really felt compelled to do this episode today was one of my friends, um, Jenny. No one knows her last name. No one knows that she's communicated with me. I'm keeping her anonymity safe. Only she knows that she's reached out to me. And um, she has recently decided to get sober. And so when Jennifer did this, 
it was really impactful because one, I hadn't seen this person in so long. I can't even begin to tell you. I think it's been well over 13, 15 years maybe. So it's been a long time since I had come across this person. Um, and she had noticed some posts and whatnot. And so she recently reached out and after clipping off her first 30 days, and it was just so beautiful and amazing to hear that she had done that. And she had said something about, you know, it's been tough. I know it will, there'll be other times when it's more tough or tougher. Uh, and I'm paraphrasing her words for mine here, but she's like, but it's, I just feel really amazing about this accomplishment. And having talked to her back when she was thinking about getting into addiction recovery, um, while her physiological needs were being met, there were some safety needs, some safety issues that she was coming across. Her job wasn't happy with her behavior and her, and her productivity at work. Um, she wasn't making as much money, so therefore she couldn't afford the resources. Um, she was having some issues with her health because of what alcohol and, and was doing to her. And, you know, obviously, whenever those things start to come into play, personal security, as far as will I be safe at home, um, all of these come into play. And so where I want you to take this out of just this conversation and start to move it into your normal life is that when you start look back at what drove you into addiction recovery, and if you're not there yet and you're listening to this show looking for motivation for the ability to get sober, start asking yourself, is addiction and alcohol, drugs, whatever it is you're addicted to. And I've got people who listen to this show who are addicted to food and sugar and, and, and too much working and sex and porn. And so I, there, we, it comes from the gambit. I'm really surprised how many people have resonated with this show. Think about how this addiction is starting to really test your physiological and your safety needs being met. Because the last thing you want to do is end up on the street, is end up with no family members who still love you or still want well, actually, they'll always love you in their own way, but maybe they, their ability to want to support you and to, be, and, and, and to still be, like, be codependent in, in your addiction. As you have pushed yourself further and further to the brink of needing, like absolutely positively needing, if I don't get sober, this will not go well for me. Start seeing how your safety needs and your physiological needs were ultimately being pushed to the brink because I'd be willing to bet that if you're not starting to see some of those break down, you might think your addiction's fine. It makes me think of a character in a TV show called Desperate Housewives. I was a big fan of that back in the day. And there was a character named Brie Vander- Vanderkamp. Brie. And she drank a lot of Chardonnay, a lot. She lived in a beautiful home. She had plenty of money. I mean, none of her safety needs were were being pushed to the brink. Um, even her physiological needs. She had. She lived in a very nice neighborhood. She had clean water, plenty of food, shelter. She could sleep whenever she wanted. She had beautiful clothes. She made way too fancy food for people who didn't enjoy fancy food. She'd already reproduced. She had kids. Um, I just remember thinking, like, she ultimately had to get sober in the show, and uh, it was because she started to push her safety needs. I think she was uh, drinking and driving here and there, but 
in the show, and again, make believe, whatever. Um, it was her esteem and her love and belonging, which we'll get into in later episodes, that first started to crumble around her. And then all of a sudden, she didn't feel like she was in control of her life anymore. And I, I tell you this story just because even somebody who's got everything around them, the big house, the fancy cars, the nice clothes, and a bank account full will still find that their safety and physiological needs begin to suffer. And then they will start to realize that they can no longer be addicted. Love and belonging will also be one. I mean, obviously esteem, how you see yourself in the mirror um, and how others see you, which is where love and belonging comes into play. As these start to crumble, um, depending on how into the addiction you were, some people can stop there. If their esteem about themselves starts to crumble, they might stop using. If they're if they're okay with their esteem crumbling and they don't look at themselves like they used to, but as long as they're still loved and they've still got codependent friends and family, then they can still keep riding the wave of addiction. Once they start getting into the safety needs not being met, right? The personal security, you get behind the wheel of a car and you drive drunk and maybe you get in an accident. You go to the doctor and they tell you that your liver is solid as a rock and that's why your skin's all yellow. <laughs> it's like all, you know, all of a sudden you start to notice that your resources begin to dwindle because you're always laying in bed getting intoxicated. Once these things start to really crumble around, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how secure you think you are in life, you can get down to the point where you're no longer getting adequate night's sleep because you're using so much. You're not eating very well because you're always intoxicated. And now you're down to the physiological needs not being met. So I can assure you, and if you've ever thought, well, man, if I was just rich, this wouldn't be a problem. It is. Money doesn't take away problems. It just gives you resources to alleviate pr certain problems more quickly. But it doesn't take problems away. You know, the, the best life coaches, Tony Robbins is of the world. They all have problems. They just have different kinds than you. They may not be worried about where they're going to get their next uh, grocery bill paid or where they're going to get their rent paid, but they all have these basic hierarchy of needs that need to be met. So when you're sitting in these meetings and you're listening to other people's stories, start to picture where they would fall in this in the in this need structure is it physiological is it safety is it love and belonging is it esteem and the the top one is self-actualization which is the desire to become the most that one can be um all of them it, it i would be willing to again i would be very comfortable in saying that when you get up there and you start and you start doing your share you will at some point talk about or reference all five of these I hear in meetings all the time, you know, I know I just want to be the best person I can be. That's self-actualization. You know, I want to love myself. I just want to be happy with the person in the mirror. That's esteem. You know, I want my friends and family to trust me and know that I'm somebody they can depend on again. That's love and belonging. That's the sense of connection. You know, I just want the people at work to know that I'm there and I'll show up on time. You know, I, I want to be able to keep working there. I, I love the job or maybe you hate the job and you want to be able to get a new job. So you're looking to fulfill it a different way. Um, your health, you know, I, I just don't want to, to ache anymore. I don't want to be shaking in the morning anymore. That's your safety need. You know, it's like I want to be, I want to eat better. I want to sleep better. I want, I want to stop wearing clothes that are five years old with holes in them because I'm spending all my money on alcohol and drugs. That's a physiological need. There is going to be a time in one of your shares where you are going to cover 
all five of these. And when you're listening to other people's shares, knowing which ones they're referencing will give you an idea of where they're at in their sobriety and recovery. Not as far as like, are you ahead of them or behind them, but just like, where, what are they thinking? Because until you get your physiological needs met, you can't be thinking about your safety needs. And until your safety needs are met, you have less energy to put towards your love and belonging. And until that's covered, do you have time to think about your esteem? And until esteem's covered, do you really have uh, the opportunity to be self-actualized and become the best version of yourself? Think about if you got, and I'll leave it on this, think about if you got stranded on an island like the TV show Lost, right? The moment you come to and realize you are trapped on an island, the first thing you got to do is find a clean water source, food, and shelter so that you can sleep at night so that you don't go crazy on this deserted island. You got to hope that you have the right clothing on so that depending on the weather conditions that you will be warm or or you won't be too cold. Right, you want to be one of the basic needs is that you know we're warm. We also don't want to be too warm. Right, you can always take clothes off. Right, once you once once you've gotten your water, food, shelter, and your sleep on lockdown, then you can start thinking about safety. Have you built yourself up a better a better shelter? You know, how personally secure are you? Have you been able to sandwich your your tent? Your, your shelter in between like three rock formations so there's only one entrance so that if an animal tries to get at you at night, you'll be safe. Do you have resources for long-term physiological needs being met? Do you have a lot of water around? Do you have a lot of coconuts or a lot of some sort of protein that you can eat? Um, once you've got that taken care of, or are you are you trapped on this island with other people? Now you could be, begin to nurture the friendships and you'll have a sense of connection because you're stuck on here. If you're not and you're there alone, then there's going to be a sense of isolation and that's going to really start to screw with you. Um, you know, being able to have self-esteem and strength while you're on this island and being able to know every day that you can figure out a way to survive. Now you're into esteem. And then, of course, self-actualization, trying to be the most that you can be on an island that you're stranded on, doesn't necessarily factor in here. But uh, I'm just moving you up and down this so that you can really hear enough examples that if it's not already clicking in your brain, that I say something that you're like, ah, okay, there it is. Now I can see this. Because when you're listening to other people share, if it's your friend or if it's someone you'd like to be friends with or you just want to support, you just want to go talk to after the meeting and be able to support them and, and, and you know, whatever that looks like to you, whether it's emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually, however it is you can support that person, being able to hear what they keep referencing in their share, whether it's a physiological, a safety, a love, an esteem, or a self-actualized need, will let you know where they're at so that you can meet them where they're at. My therapist always says, meet meet your clients where they're at. Meet your meet the audience members that you're speaking in front of where, where they're at. Meet the people listening to the podcast where they're at. I only find out where you're at whenever you reach out to me, which has been frequently but for those of you who've never reached out or never posted on my Instagram, I have no idea. So I'm basically just playing in the dark here, hoping that I can figure it out and bring you things that will help you in your sobriety and recovery mission. And that's why I brought this to your attention today. Understanding the Maslow's hierarchy of needs, seeing where you're at in it, seeing where those around you and the ones that you care about are in it, being able to see this stuff with ease will give you an idea of what other people are going through and how you can be supportive or or 
how you can be vulnerable around people and ask them for their support for what you're going through. And if you know that what you're asking them is a physiological, a safety, a love, an esteem, or a self-actualized need, we'll go on a we'll go a humongous way towards making sure that you ask them for exactly what it is that you need, and you don't beat around the bush and ask for something that you don't need just because you're afraid they'll reject what you really do need. So. Thank you guys. As always, please subscribe, rate, review on wherever you get your podcast. Let people know that you love the show. I, as always, am just so grateful that you allow me into your lives for this 30 minutes. Um, if you have any questions about what I'm discussing, uh, we will definitely be diving more into love, esteem, and self-actualization because we're coming up at the end of the year. You've got three years till the end of this year. And I really want to give you guys some great tips on being able to fire it up so your 2019 ends as amazingly as it can and 2020 is your best year ever. So as always, um, is the power of positive energy, release and flow. I'm just so honored to have you all here. Bless you all. Love you. As always, please be inclusive, not exclusive. Understand everybody has a hierarchy of needs that they're looking to be met. Do your best to be there for others when you can, because then perhaps they'll be there for you whenever you need them. Uh, it, It takes a village. Whether we realize it or not, we're all in a village here. It's just that some people would like us to think that we're not. We cannot do this alone. You know that it's, you just cannot do it alone. So if you need anything, reach out to me on social media. I'll be happy to point you in the right direction. Much love, everyone. Until we meet again. Bye-bye. 